Welcome. I'm Lauren Lee Binstock, host of a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. As we approach the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, I wanted to invite a former ATSTP guest, Matthew John Bocci. Last year, he released the first memoir written by a surviving child of a 9-11 victim. This year, Sway, his book, is being re-released in paperback. Sway details the tragic event of Matt Bocci losing his father during the 9-11 attacks, the manipulation and sexual abuse by an uncle, drug addiction, redemption, and sobriety. Matt joins us today to update us on his life a year later. Matt, thank you so much for coming on again. You're welcome. Great to be back. Well, since the release of Sway last year, I know a lot of things have happened. Um, What is your latest endeavor? Well, um, I have been working on other writing projects in the meantime. I uh, really spent the last year speaking at schools, albeit most of it was virtual, um, but speaking at high schools and telling my story to, to kids and um, hoping to have some sort of impact on their lives. And I don't always gear the talk in a preventative way, but um, if they can avoid going down the road I went down by listening to my story, then that's also a plus. But um, that's that's been my main endeavor the last last year. Wow. So now that we're going in person, are you are you visiting schools? I just started about a month ago. We had uh, I, I got granted with one of the schools. They allowed me to to come back in uh, in person. So that was strange. At the same time, you know, uh, at that point in time, the you know the mask mandate wasn't lifted. So um, I had to kind of go half mask at some points to, in order to be, that allow the kids to see me and stuff and, and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I think going forward, obviously now um, the fall will be a much different story and um, ideally fully back to normal. So when you are at these schools, what is your main focus? Is it on sobriety? Is it on abuse? Do you talk about your own story of sexual abuse? I talk about everything. Um, you know, oftentimes some of the schools will have certain topics that they want me to go maybe a little bit more detailed with. And honestly, for me, I don't plan much of what I'm going to say in terms of, okay, what I want to highlight more today. Um, I know which stories maybe in, in terms of especially drug abuse, I'll, I'll go a little bit more detailed with, right? But, um, but that being said, uh, yeah, the whole entire story is out there. You know, my story is completely public. Um, so I talk about everything, you know, I, I have no shame in talking about anything that I went through. Um, it just sometimes is a little unique in, in each presentation because sometimes kids have been affected by drug abuse or sometimes kids have been affected by 9-11 in some obscure way, or, or sometimes they've questionably gone through something similar to what I went through with abuse or assault or something along those lines. And um, I think for me, it's just about being transparent and honest with them. And if they want to come up to me after and talk about something that they went through, that's why I do it. And that's why I'm there. And whatever, if they have something they want to get off their chest, sometimes they reach out to me personally via email, which is fine as well. And that to me is the reason why I do it. You know, that's, that's the reason why I get out there and it's emotionally draining at times, right? Mm-hmm. But I get fulfillment out of doing it. It's my passion. It's something that um, I'm pursuing as my career. So that's the reason why I do it. And 
if one kid gets impacted by it, if one kid reaches out to me and says, hey, listen, I went through something similar, you know, X, Y, and Z, thank you for being honest and thank you for telling your story because it, it helped me that I did, I did something right. Right. And I, and I assume it's can be really hard, especially, you know, we talked about this before, you know, being a man who has been sexually abused by a man. And, you know, that's, that's trauma that I feel like so many people aren't talking about. And I'm so proud of you for, for talking about it, because I think that's just giving more space for, for kids to, to say if something is happening to them especially when you're now you're going to schools and saying it. Yeah. And, and it kind of brings me back a little bit to like the Me Too movement a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of questioned myself. I'm like, you know, should I, should I have maybe posted something or should I, you know, like, cause there was obviously a lot of it was empowering women to come forward about assault or abuse and whatnot, which is obviously amazing. But then I'm like, how many men have gone through something and they're just too scared, you know? I hate to say it, but it's, in, in a strange way, it's almost as if women going through that or assault or something along those lines is like strangely accepted, you know? It, people take it for what it's worth. Like, okay, this, that, that's unfortunate. Right. But, but, they're, but they're not looking at it sometimes in, this, in a more, even a more judgmental light that they would with a man, you know? Right. Because there's just this societal belief that like men can't go through something like that that men can't be vulnerable they can't be emotional they can't allow themselves to get honest and say hey i went through this this is how it made me feel um and i'm scared right because men showing or exhibiting fear in many in many people's eyes is a sign of defeat right so that is why I'm trying to be vocal about this, you know, and it is a big part of my story. I mean, it was, it certainly was a turning point in my life. And I think it really did set the tone for a lot of things that occurred in the next few years. Um, It certainly affected me as the years went on after too, you know, after the abuse was, was done. And and then I was already in, in the midst of drug addiction, but um, it certainly played a role in a lot of things that I, you know, did. Yeah. I, I mean, I, to be honest, I feel kind of, I feel guilty that I, I haven't had enough men on my show. Um, but I think it's mostly because men don't really reach out and say, I want to tell my story. Um, the men who have reached out to me, they've gone through exactly what you've gone through. Just the shame of, of, speaking up or saying something or telling someone that this is happening. And so they, they kind of lived with it for a really long time. And it just, you know, when you live with something like this, it just, it it doesn't get better. It just gets worse until you actually say something. So again, I'm, I'm just, I'm extremely proud of you for being so courageous and sharing the story because you know what, I, you know, I feel like I found a friend in you. It's, it's like we're in this really, really fucked up club of sex yeah. abuse survivors, yeah, yeah. you know, especially yeah. by family members. Yeah. Um, not long after, to, you know, I, I actually reached out to you a couple times, you know, mm-hmm. after um, our interview, because I do consider you as a friend. And so mm-hmm. and we've gone through something similar. But for you, when your book was released afterwards, after I spoke with you, your your uncle 
who was uh, your perpetrator, was released from prison. With him out, like, what is the family dynamic? What how, what are your feelings right now? Well, first of all, he actually got out a uh, week and a half prior to Sway coming mm. out. So he was out and about. Um, he was out and about. And um, yeah, I was a little scared. You know, I was scared. Um, I, uh, there was a lot of things that were going through my head and I had to process my emotions maturely, you know, um, because there was part of me that, although, yeah, I spoke up, he went to prison. I was like, yeah, maybe I should have just handled this differently. Right. Maybe I should have just kept my mouth shut or maybe I should have just kept it within the family or maybe I should have done whatever. So him getting out, um, initially, it did grip me with some fear. Um, I was curious to see what was going to happen with my aunt. Um, and I didn't know what he was going to do. Because my fear was, he's not going to do anything to me directly. But now that it, it, it's just, just a rational thing. It's just a rational belief, right? Mm-hmm. He'd been away for four, uh, yeah, four years, right? So it's like something was going to happen to me, probably would have happened already. Uh, not after multiple parole hearings and this and that and the other thing. So, um, but anyway, I think it's pretty natural anyway to, to have that fear come back up. You know, it's all the emotions are being resurfaced, right? Mm-hmm. All of the shame is back. And that's the thing, right? I allowed myself to heal in those years a little bit better than I had in the years prior. Um, but even so, it's, it was so new, so so fresh, right? Like I didn't say anything to anyone for 10 plus years. It's a horrible secret to hold for 10 years. Yeah. And many people hold that secret for many, many longer years, right? But um, so the dynamic now, well, I thought the dynamic was going to change about four years ago when um, my grandfather passed away. Uh, it didn't. And, um, and so the dynamic now, I mean, it's slowly shifting towards possibly a positive direction uh, or a positive place, but uh, it's, it's not there yet. You know, it's going to take a lot of time. Um, and I don't want to go into too many details, but the relationships are torn and um the relationships uh, between multiple family members, it's almost as if they're irreparable. I don't know if it's ever going to get better. You know, um, I think the problem is too, so much transpired in the four years that he was away. Um, it, it's, it's hard to, to, to erase that, you know, yeah. it really is. And, uh, and I think a lot of the people close to him who perhaps I thought were going to react, well, made it seem as if they were going to act differently when he got out and acted in the way that I originally imagined, um, essentially supporting him and this, that, the other thing. That's what really took me by surprise. Um, And that's what really affected me because I felt, you know, in some ways I was kind of fed some lies in the last few years, like, oh, you know, we sympathize with you. We understand like this is, you know, he was so wrong and he, whatever. And then he gets out and it's like, well, let's throw him a party. He just got out of prison, you know? So wow. 
it was really, really hard, you know, really, really hard. Um, and so what I've done, well, I'm moving forward in my life. I cut those people out. And there's no really reason to have them in my life. Um, if he sees me um, walking down the street, runs me over with his car, it's, you know, what am, what am I going to do? You know, a lot of this, I've come to believe in life anyway. So much of, of these things that we go through are out of our control anyway. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I can do. I'm not going to live in this perpetual state of fear. Right. I, I, I'm not going to, you know, worry about him. Um, so that's, that, that's sort of, you know, where we're at now. Yeah. I know that when I told you that, you know, I was abused by my father. And then when I told my mom that I actually went into treatment, that this is what happened. She was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to leave him. I'm going, you know, everything. I'm, I'm never going to speak to him again. And then, you know, kind of like five or six months later, nothing really changed, but I didn't know what was happening. She didn't talk about him or anything. So I, I knew she was still with him, but I didn't know um, what their situation was, but it was in April around my birthday, they, you know, they sent me a card. And so I called my mom and I said, okay, thank you. And then she started shaming me for, you know, well, when are you going to come visit us? And I'm like, I'm really, I have no plans to visit as long as dad's around. And she was just like, why can't you forgive and forget? And I felt like that was like a blow to me where it was like, okay, well, I, you know, you need to forgive as if she was putting the pressure on me. Now, now it's your turn. You need to forgive and forget so we can just be a family again. Um, and, you know, it took me a really, I, it was devastating for a while, but it took me a little bit. And I realized that for her, she just didn't know how to change, you know? And, and I think she didn't want that pressure on her to, mm. um, you know, she, she kind of wanted to be off the hook. Like if you forget this happens, then I'm okay. And then I can just live the same life that I was living in, you know, this ignorance that I was living in. And yeah, that was hard. Well, I I think too, like where our stories are similar is, um, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think that both of us, um, tried to, in our minds, live life normally. Mm -hmm that people would be blown away and completely surprised, taken aback by the fact that when you came forward about it, like, wait, what? Because like you tried to live a normal life, but that's what people don't understand is what the victim goes through. The victim doesn't want to come forward and say, Hey, this happened to me. Right. I look back at my 14 year old self. I was literally talking to a kid from my high school yesterday. I'm talking about this and he's like, I read your book five times. You know, and, and telling me um, stuff that he's going through. And I told him um, how intimidated I was in high school by certain people, right? Like I was a small kid. I had friends, but I still, I was intimidated by people. And it was hard for me to trust people. Mm-hmm. The fact that I was going through that at that point in my life, if I had come forward about that, that's what, that's where the fear was driven. That, that, that's what it stemmed from is that mm-hmm. everyone was going to look at me in a different light and I would never have been the same. And so I already had an abnormal adolescence. I already had an abnormal childhood 
coming forward about it at that point in my life probably would have ruined everything. Like it, it would have ruined it even more than it already was ruined. Yeah. So I think people are so surprised by that because they just don't understand that the victim, it's easier for the victim at times, as much as it tears them apart in the inside to live with that, to live with the shame and the guilt and just pretend, you know, it's okay. If you just pretend it didn't happen, it's okay. Right. So for me, it was easier to put on that facade that nothing happened. It was easier for me to put a smile on my face and talk to him, buddy, buddy, and, you know, try to shake off his inappropriate jokes at a family event or, you know, something along those lines. It was easier for me to just swallow it and just pretend it didn't happen. Let's fast forward to when, it, when I came forward about it. I mean, the first family event that I had, they were more like so surprised and trying to just understand it themselves. And that's what I think um, confused so many people. And that's probably what was the case for you in a lot of ways too, mm-hmm. is that people don't understand. Like, they're like, wait, what? Like, how did you live your life like this? Like, how did you not say anything? Or how did you hang out with that person who did this to you? You know? People sometimes can't comprehend that, yeah. um, but guilt and shame and uh, like despair are just powerful, powerful feelings. Yeah, you really had to. And, you know, your 14, 15, 16 year old self, you know, like you were saying, you were vulnerable then without t- dealing with the abuse and all of that, you know, it, it's you're at a very critically developmental age where a trauma like that is, is really difficult. You know, like you were saying, like, you know, at my wedding, I danced with my dad, you know, my friends loved my dad. Every, no one would, everyone was shocked when I came out with that. Um, But you, you, you're right. Like I couldn't come out with it then. And to be honest, I don't think my mom would have believed me then just to save her own you know her own ass yeah because, listen i'm right there with you right like it, yeah it, no one would have believed me as, a, as in that state yeah no one. and the other thing too is like you know I, I i grapple with this for a while um and i'm at a point now in my life where i am fully in tune and, and okay with how things have happened to me mm-hmm. but um you know you watch like an episode of like law and order svu and like it's like all these kids are six years old seven years old and i'm like I was 14, right? I should have had the wherewithal to stop it because in, in, deep down inside subconsciously that there was, I knew where certain things were wrong. And I know I knew the answers. I knew the difference between right and wrong. But the problem is when you're in a state of such vulnerability, right? You, you take that all aside, put, put all that to the side. This is the one thing my therapist was saying to me all the time. Do you allow a 14 year old to vote? No. Do you allow a 14-year-old to go into a store and buy a pack of cigarettes? No. Do you allow a 14-year-old to go buy alcohol? No. Well, why? To drive a car, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're in a fragile state at that age. You're in a developmental state at that age. And, um, you know, the brain isn't fully developed yet. And, and um, a kid that young, is, it's so easy to manipulate. Right. And that's the thing. And, and you take all of that aside, right? Well, now let's add in all the other layers too, right? And like, that's why for me, it's like, listen, like I was so afraid. I was like determined to, to think, okay, if I come forward about this in my book, I say all this stuff in my book, I'm imagining the army of kids from my high school that are ready to like make fun of me. Like, mm-hmm. this is like the irrationality that comes with this, right? Mm-hmm. And um, 
And so nothing happened like that. You know, right. I had kids reaching out to me, guys reaching out to me, guys who I was like scared of saying, Hey man, I went through something like this. Wow. Hey, I went through this or I went through that. You know, like that is the power of being vulnerable. That's the power of being honest, you know, because it allows people to relate with you on a whole nother level. And it allows people to say, Hey, listen, if you're doing this, if you're showing me, you have the strength and the courage to come forward, then I can do the same exact thing. You know, right. it doesn't matter what anyone else has to say. It doesn't matter if they want to judge. It doesn't matter. But if you have the ability to do it and be okay with yourself, then I can do it too. So, um, so that's a lot of growth too, for me, you know, I mean, yeah. I think that even when I, uh, first came forward about this, I mean, Jesus, I was like, I didn't want to say all the details. I didn't want to go into explicit detail about what happened. Right. Because as you mentioned, male, male, and I'm straight male. Right. So everyone, that was another fear, right? Oh, well, first of all, no matter what I did or didn't do, it's like, Oh, I want to be like, you know, they're going to label me. Right. Mm -hmm. That, that and, and I have nothing, I'm not, you know, uh, I have nothing against that, but it's just, that was the fear. Mm -hmm. You go to an all boys school. I don't know how, like, I don't know how, like, how, how, how transparent I should be, but it's like, you go to an all boys school, right? Like, this is what guys, this is how guys act when they're in that age. Like they, they're mm -hmm. so quick to be like fag homo, right? Mm -hmm. You're gay, right? They're so yeah. quick to just want to point and like laugh and make fun. Like that's like what these not guys, but kids, kids, kids. do that, yeah. right? Kids do that because they just don't understand. Yeah. So, um, and you know, there, and there was plenty of, of people from my high school who were gay, right? They weren't bullied. That's the funny part. They, there was none of that. That's the mm -hmm. way it should be though. Right. Right. Um, but the, but the fact of the matter is like, why is it that, why is it such a, a, a toxic part of masculinity to do that? Right. Right. For guys to be like saying those types of things to one another. You know what I mean? So anyway, that was like the fear of mine, right? That everyone was going to label me and they're going to say like, you're gay and like, you can't defend yourself because look what happened to you. you know but wasn't I mean? that also the, your perpetrator hammering exactly. that into your head? Exactly. That was him manipulating you and telling you how wrong that is. And that this For, is, yeah. he, he put that fear in you. That's he what manipulation, that yeah, that's what, yeah. that's what abusers do. They, they incite these this fear that you probably were never even thinking of prior and now you're never, scared never even never even crossed my mind never even it, it, it never right never and then it's like that's that's the um that's just a, the heartbreaking aspect with a lot of this type these situations you look at like they are so calculated mm. it, it, it's unbelievable how calculated they are right the fact that he was able to use my dad's that the way he used it that that's one thing right that that's a whole nother level of disgust mm -hmm. but the fact he was able to do that okay so that's how you that's how he knocks the wall down he gets the wall down he gets what he wants and now how does he protect himself right i mean he got me out of talking to x y and z anyone close to me that he knew i would have gone to he got me not he, he had a way that he knew he would say the right thing about that person to me that would prevent me from going to them. Yeah. Right. So, mm -hmm. and then 
you know, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable though, to me, how calculated they are. And that's why they're predators, you know? Yeah. That's why they're predators. You know? Right. It's, it's, it's really hard when, when you think of it, like all the, the different people who in your life you could have gone to, but it's, it's that, that predator, that abuser who, you know, that, that absolutely happened to me. Like, this is what's going to happen if you tell. It is hard. I would get frustrated before I even told my story, you know, when like Bill Cosby, all this, you know, all of these yeah. perpetrators, these victims were coming out 20 years later. I remember some people being like, I don't believe that because they would have told earlier. And I would tell them, no, that's absolutely not true. I never told my story, but I felt like that also kept me from saying anything because it's like, oh, wow, I won't be believed if I say this because it's been, you know, 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why it took me over 20 years to say something. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, look, I'm sure you have, you have that dichotomy of people who, um, there's a, there's a, there's a difference, right? You have people who ha- go through like something like that, like, like this, and they use it, they want to use it to their advantage to get money or whatever. Like, there, uh, and, and to me, there needs, there, there should be a certain degree um, of compensation for, for, for a lot of this stuff, because yeah, I mean, like this damages a person, right? Yeah. And granted for me, like, you know, my, I didn't hit the jackpot in my, in my situation, you know, with, with my perpetrator and and that's not something I was looking for anyway but but there is that there is that difference right and that's where I think mm-hmm. that you know unfortunately um it's a tainted situation with that because yeah. you got people who are going to judge right you got people going to say well, why did you wait this many years right or why why are you doing it now what, you, you want money what is it like they, they feel like you have to have a motive you don't have to have a motive right mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever would have come forward, I was at this turning point in my life. I was at this crossroad. I don't know if I would have come forward had I gotten off the phone with my brother that day and said, okay, uh, I'm not going to say anything to anyone. But instead I went into a different mindset and action mode and I did do something about it. Now, I don't know if I never got sober, would I've ever, would any of this had come to light? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, but the unfortunate thing is um, people think that just because time goes by, right? Sometimes you need to have the experiences of life, in, in my opinion, at least. To grow. In order to, to grow, exactly. In order to grow, process it more, and then be like, okay, I, now I have the power and the strength to, to come forward about this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at the, the inverse side of that, right? Why are some people, they don't want to come forward ever. They'd rather go to the grave with this, you know, yep. and maybe it doesn't eat them in the same way it would eat at you and me, but it eats at them at some part, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, know I didn't that. know. Yeah. Like I didn't know that all of the different behavioral issues that I had were PTSD. I had no clue. I was just yeah. like, oh, this, this is just who I am. And, um, you know, even when, you know, the podcast came out and, you know, I had a cousin come to me and say, you know what, I was being abused by my dad who is related to my father. Yeah. I think you did tell me that. Yeah, I did tell you that. And, and I do remember like when I told my mom, they were, she was just like, well, you know, that what kind of person she is. I was like, 
she that was PTSD in that at that point I was like you still don't understand what's happening to me because you would have considered me a, a bad kid you know doing you know abusing drugs and doing this and doing that and that would have been an issue she you know if I if if I was not at this place in my life where things were somewhat stable I had had a family like I mentioned I don't think my mom would have believed me she would have said well you know you're you're a liar because you lied about the drug use or you know whatever she did she doesn't connect the fact that those are symptoms of PTSD that I that changed me was that a fear for you I mean if you I know that you were sober at that point correct yeah well it was a fear that was brought to life for me because yes I was sober at that point I was sober about seven months, if, if like six, seven, yeah, seven months. Wow. Um, at that point in time, now I had been on probation already. I was on probation in the state of New Jersey, but if I messed up and that wasn't the reason why I got, I mean, it wasn't like keeping me sober by any means. It never does keep anyone sober. Mm-hmm. If I messed up, I was going to go to jail. So I had legal trouble and jail time over my head. Um, but that's exactly what he did. He, when he got arrested the first time, he got arrested twice. Because the first time I, when I came forward and I met with, with the local police, it, I was with the FBI as well. They asked me to give uh, irrefutable evidence as to why I knew I was a certain age. I couldn't give it. Mm-hmm. I, my brain was like oh, an overdrive. Like I had never talked about this with anyone potential there was a possibility that i talked about it with one of my friends when i was under the influence another kid who was you know who was struggling i don't remember that conversation he claims i said something to him but i don't remember the conversation regardless obviously nothing happened because it was years ago mm-hmm. it was years prior but um this is the first time i'm telling my entire family i'm telling strangers i'm telling the police like it was a lot to deal with i'm like sitting there like feeling like a little kid i'm like i can't give you what you want i i I can't i I don't know what to say and um they're like well you have to tell us like what happened and like i didn't know what to do like how to go about it right so anyway the first time they arrested him um they charged him with a second with second degree um and that's exactly what he was doing. He was saying, oh, he's doing this to get off the drug charges. Da, 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 da. I'm like, listen, I don't really know in what world you live in where someone gets arrested for drug charges and then they make up that their uncle's a pedophile. You know, right. it doesn't really like, it's not, it doesn't go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So um, that was another thing, even leading up to me getting sober to begin, you know, like that I kind of struggled with as well. Um, I knew in the midst of addiction, I was like, if I come forward about this, no one's going to believe me. I mean, I'm in and out of treatment centers the last three years. No one's going to believe me. Um, And honestly, it didn't really, it wasn't something that I was trying to, I wasn't ready at that point. You know, wasn't Mm -hmm. ready at that point. Um, So anyway, um, but my fears were brought to life when I did come forward. And that's like you said, like, that's what he did, you know? Yeah. Exactly what he did. Yeah, I feel like people need to understand that the PTSD symptoms, it creates more trauma that other people can use against you when you are trying to tell your truth, tell your story. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, how has recovery been for you? 
in terms of sobriety or in terms yeah, of yeah well let's let's focus on sobriety right now like how has sobriety been for you in the last year well yeah yeah i mean it's uh been there was obviously the initial i don't want to say struggle but um it was a difficult time in the beginning of the pandemic because obviously meetings were then all went to zoom uh and so it was an adjustment for sure uh, I think strangely, uh, I did get used to Zoom now that the fact that everything's going back to in person. The convenience factor was really nice. I think that a lot of people re- resonated with that. But recovery is good. I mean, like there was a lot of things, and this is something that I am so proud that I established in year one. My first year of sobriety, ironically enough, uh, in the beginning, when I was in the sober house in the beginning, I was hitting about six meetings a week. When I was approaching a year, of sobriety, I stopped going to as many meetings because I was in this like weird state of, if you even want to call it like adopted Buddhism or something. I just wanted to have a spiritual connection mm-hmm. with a higher power. Yeah. And so I was in the firm belief that if I had a constant contact with the higher power, a good connection spiritually, was in touch with my feelings, in, in touch with my, my mind and my body, and they were in sync. Mm-hmm. meditation and prayer that was dominant in my life yeah. so at that point in my life in that time I was doing uh, maybe one meeting a week two meetings a week speaking at meetings and you know things like that when I moved back home uh, to Jersey I that changed so I started going to more meetings right but the but the fact is I knew I needed to have everything else that I just mentioned I needed to have that connection with the higher power Mm-hmm. Because listen, there's going to be times you can't get to a meeting, even aside from the fact if this pandemic didn't happen and everything was on Zoom, there's, there were times where you can't get to a meeting. What are you going to do? Right. You got to pick up the phone and call someone. You got to be able to have that connection with your higher power and and be able to work through it sometimes on your own. Right. Um, so for me, I have like a lot of readings that I do in the morning. Um, they'll set the tone for the day for yeah. me. And I'll have six years. I'll have just celebrated six years sobriety. Wow. Um, Congrats. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy, man. It really is crazy. I, um, I mean, you know, even like this last year has been actually so a lot in a lot of ways rewarding for me. You know, I, I have to really, oddly enough, the pandemic has helped me in, in a lot of regards too. You know, mm-hmm. I, um, I had the ability to, you know, I, I got off the antidepressant, you know, I feeling, I got to a point in my life with the help of other people, with the help of, you know, God of my understanding, which is in, in my case, I, I use my dad as my higher power. I've gotten to a point where I'm like, you know, what? I'm ready. Like, I don't need, not that I needed it to begin with, but I, I was ready to move forward and embrace my life mm-hmm. to feel everything. Not to say that I was masked by any means. Um, but I think that's part of the, uh, it's part of our nature as a society at times, you know, you get sober, here, here's antidepressants, here's this, here's that, you know, feel right. better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even in general, you know, you're feeling a little bit down, okay, here, here's Zoloft, here's Prozac, right? And, and, and to a leveling degree, people need medications like that. There's no doubt in my mind. But yeah. I don't know if I ever really needed it. I wonder, you know, now, because I've been dealing with some other stuff um, some health stuff and whatnot, everything's fine, but, um, getting everything figured out in my life. 
And I'm like, wow, like I'm not as anxious of a person. I don't really have depression. Like my compulsive, my obsessive compulsive stuff is kind of diminishing slowly, you know? Um, and, and there's just a lot of things that I'm like starting to wonder, you know? Um, and the fact that I don't need to be on an antidepressant has been really powerful for me. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's nice to be able to feel everything and not always have to pinpoint, okay, well, I'm feeling this. So it's gotta be this, you know, right. Sometimes yeah, you I just mean, feel things. Exactly. Or you could just be triggered by certain things. Like I can imagine, like, you know, for me, when anyone mentions my dad, I get triggered and it gives me a lot of anxiety. <laughs> for me, I, I was able to get off medication. I did a few psychedelic sessions where I was able to go in and, and really think about like how I, how I grew as a person, you know, this post-traumatic growth that I've experienced. And I think that has helped me through, through all of this. And, and there is just a, I think at times unmeasurable degree of, of, of strength that comes with some of that stuff, right? Like you, I don't know, you just get, you kind of just get like a new perspective on it too, mm-hmm. which is kind of nice, right? Like, I, I don't know, I just, I, I'm happy that I'm able to wake up this morning, right? Like there was like times where like I was so clouded, didn't really realize that what was causing that feeling, what was causing my brain to feel that way. And it's like, oh my God, like it, almost to a degree, I'm like, did I, was I poisoning myself for all these years? Like, Jesus, like, you know, uh, yeah. to have some sort of clarity, this new clarity is is just something I'm it's like I've been reborn again yeah, yeah. you know I already was reborn when sobriety and I'm like again I'm reborn you know yeah wow and that's which is that's, awesome you know yeah it's great. and it's amazing I feel like I feel like you've done so much growth in just a year that I've known you yeah. And I think that's, it's, a, it's just incredible to see. And, and I'm so grateful that you are willing to come back on oh, of um, course, so we can discuss that. What do you have planned for the 20th anniversary of 9-11? Well, we're going to have to see where things go with, uh, with the paperback, right? I mean, um, I'm sure as, as, as time is getting closer, I mean, listen, uh, last year with COVID, the memorial that we go to is a very small one anyway. But um, it was it was canceled. You know, the memorial was canceled. So I believe we're everything is back to where it should be this year. And there is a really strong possibility that I'm. I don't know if on 9/11, definitely not in the morning. I'll do everything in my power not to do that in the morning. But in the later afternoon, potentially, may do like a signing at the memorial. Uh, oh, the, wow. My book is going to be in the bookstore there, in the gift shop. So there may be some stuff going on there. Last year was the first time, I think, honestly, in my entire life, post losing my dad, that I didn't spend the entire day mourning him. Mm. What I did instead was live my life. And that was something that was so fulfilling to me and empowering to me. You know, like every year we go to this memorial and after the memorial, we go to breakfast. We go to this little diner. And, and it's, and it's always fluctuated for me, right? In, in the years, some years I'm, I'm sad, some years I'm okay, you know, and I'm, and mainly referring to sobriety because, you know, pre-sobriety, like I would be either really messed up and not feel anything or somewhat high and feel something like, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. now obviously I feel everything, 
but uh, there were still times like where I was struggling. You know, I would still kind of be interested in looking at the videos and the pictures. And last year, my dad's family came over. I had like three big interviews that day. So like, and everything was on Zoom. So I had to be going in and out for like the interviews. But my, my dad's family was at my house. We spent the day also, you know, just talking about my book and like the things that I'm doing now. And like, just, there was a more positive, there was a new, newfound life that was, that was, that was born that day. You know, it was like, we remember my dad for the good. We remember my dad for the life he lived, not the way he died. And we spent that day happy. And that was just something that you can't, at times you just can't put words on it. You know, it just, the feeling that I had that day was just, um, immense gratitude. Um, and, uh, I just like would think of my dad and like smile, you know, it's like, well, it's just like, that's the way it should be. You right. Know? The way you celebrated be. his life. Celebrated by his yours. life. There you go. Yeah. yeah you know? I love that. You know? So I, I, I think that a lot of that will be similar this year too. You had to go through that mourning process. You had to go through all of, you know, the bad stuff to get mm-hmm. to this side. And I think, I think you're there and I love it again. Thank you so much for joining thank you. me today. No, thank you. Thank you. And it's always a pleasure. And you, and you said this before, but I, but certainly I'm like the same feelings. You, you're a friend of mine. And it's just so funny, like the change and the growth that both of us have had in this last year. I was thinking like, first time I, we got connected and like, we, we, I remember exactly where I was and I recorded the first episode and mm-hmm. you were literally the first interview that I had. Aww, literally the yeah. first interview that I had, not just podcast, first interview I had was you. And, mm-hmm. um, you yeah. know, and just, just talking about everything. It was just, it's been really awesome. Yeah. I remember really the first awesome. time I actually just talked to you before that initial interview, I was yeah. driving the hour from yeah. Miami to um, yes. wherever my, where my treatment center was. And I remember I couldn't get off the phone with you. I was just, we just yeah. kept talking. We just was, kept talk- and then we kept doing that before, even, I think it was like, even before we recorded, we, we hopped on the phone a few times Yeah, and yeah. talked about things. And like, that was just nice because you understood and you do understand. You yeah. do understand. Yeah, you do too. Yeah. You, you, yeah. We, we've been through, like I said, we're in this, this club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But- but I love fucked it. up club, but we're in it. Right. Exactly. I'm so glad that, that, but we're, we're thriving. And I think that we're that's, that's the important part. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. That was Matthew John Bocci, author of Sway. To learn more about Matt, please visit my website at tstpodcast.com. That's the letter A, tstpodcast.com. There you can find the link to purchase his book now available in paperback. And you can also listen to my season one interview with Matt. Also my social media platforms are at the top of my homepage. And don't forget to subscribe to my email list to get Authentic Insider Magazine in your inbox monthly. Next week, you will hear from author of Rise from the Ashes, stories of trauma, resilience, and growth from the children of 9-11. That will be Peyton Lynch. Thank you for listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. I'm Lori Lee Binstock. Thank you for being a part of the conversation. Take care. Mm-hmm.